Hey everyone, a quick note before we start today's episode, I want to point you to our brand new website at guiltgracepod.com for all things guilt, grace, gratitude, all of our podcasts, their categories by type, by episode, by season, by author, by topics, by all those good things. So everything guilt, grace, gratitude podcast you can find at guiltgracepod.com. Dot com, as well as our brand new confessional podcast network, which will be housed at confessionalpods.com. We have our inaugural sets of podcasts who have joined us, and we have more who are coming on board pretty soon. And you can also find the confessional podcast network on anywhere good podcasts are found. If you guys can help us in any way financially, go to guiltgracepod.com to give and donate. We have a lot of big plans for 2023 and beyond. and We would love for you to partner and support and build this bridge to confessional reform theology with us. Now, let's get on to this episode. We, we read the Bible with a view to spirituality, with a view to, to getting to know God, seeing God ultimately. And um, so this book is, is on Lexio Divina, Latin term simply meaning divine reading or, or also holy reading. So it's, it's a meditative approach to reading scripture. And that meditative approach fits, fits quite well with the way that I think scripture has been read through most of the centuries. Yeah. Um, as something to bring us to God. Welcome to the Guilt, Grace, Gratitude podcast featuring Peter Bell and Nick Fulweiler. This is a show about Christian doctrine for everyone from the historic Reformed tradition, delivered by two friends in an unscripted dialogue. Join us as we discuss how the finished work of Jesus Christ changes everything. Hello, everyone. Yet once again, it's another day of fresh grace and mercy. This is the Guilt, Grace, Gratitude podcast, sponsored by Logos Bible Software, where we bridge the gap to Reformed Christian theology for your listening pleasure. Today, we're doing a book club episode on the book called Pierced by Love, Divine Reading with the Christian Tradition by Hans Borma. He's our guest today. The book is published by Lexham Press. So if you go to our show notes, as usual, there's a link to Lexham Press. Click that. It'll take you right to Hans's book there, uh, Pierced by Love. So purchase it for yourself or somebody you know. And then also some other resources on our show notes, If uh, more introduction to who Hans Borma is, as well as a little bit more about our show and our background and how to contact and communicate with us, email, social media, that kind of thing. Um, we are on YouTube. So if you're in your car listening to this, just know you can also, um, I'm not sure how boring it would be, but you could actually watch it on uh, YouTube if that's more a better audience platform for you. So um, there's also a link to find the closest reformed to confessional churches near your area. And uh, this is all in, uh, I believe, North America. So as uh, as you guys will uh, be introduced to Hans, so you might uh, be introduced to uh, the kind of the Western Canadian area. I think there's some uh, resources there as well of um, of some churches out there as well. And so um, I'll let Peter further introduce Hans Borma today. Yeah, we have Dr. Hans Borma. Uh, he is professor uh, of, as I pull up my notes, is uh, St. Benedict Servants of Christ Chair in Ascetical Theology at Neshota House 
in Wisconsin, a priest in the Anglican Church in North America, and the author of numerous books, including Seeing God, Heavenly Participation, and Five Things Theologians Wish Biblical Scholars Knew. And I'm assuming there's probably like 100 things that they wish biblical scholars knew. But it's a pleasure having you on, Dr. Borsma. Yeah, thank you very much. It's a joy being with you guys. Of course, yeah. So my, my first kind of icebreaker question is, uh, for those who are looking at your name, how do you pronounce your name? Um, well, different people pronounce it differently, and I'm not very very particular about how you okay. pronounce it. Most people, most people say Hans, and last name is usually Borsma. Um, so, yeah. Is that the correct? Is that how you want it to say? If you're like, if I had my brothers, I want it to be Borsma, or like, is there a specific way you want to say it? No, no, that's awesome. You're doing great. <laughs> Borsma. Okay, cool. Just just making sure because I know some people have a, a specific way, but it's it's cool. Yeah, to no, also be open about I'm, it. I'm good. <laughs> I like it. Uh, so maybe let our listeners know if they're this may be the first time that they're hearing you. They might have heard you on another podcast, maybe read a book or two of yours. But if they're brand new to, to Hans, maybe let our listeners know a little bit about yourself, uh, a little bit about your background and what you do. Sure. Um, I, um, I'm a priest in, in the um, Anglican Church of North America. Uh, my wife and I live in Langley, British Columbia. Mm. Um, although I teach actually in Wisconsin at an yeah. Anglo-Catholic seminary there uh, called Neshota House Theological Seminary, best seminary in North America. So let your <laughs> listeners uh, take, take careful note of Neshota House. Uh, Be careful and, uh, there. I, I, might, I might fight you. <laughs> well, it's a, it's a good place. I've been there for four years. Um, it's, it's a wonderful place of um, Benedictine spirituality and solid academic engagement. Um, I've, uh, prior to that, I was at Regent College in Vancouver for mm. 14 years. I've served as a pastor. For, I've also taught at uh, Trinity Western University for six, seven years in Langley, British Columbia. And prior to that, I was a pastor for several years. Um, my interests um, vary. Um, I'm too impatient to stay with anything for too long. Um, but um, <laughs> you mentioned my book, Seeing God, earlier in the, in the discussion before the uh, podcast started and um so i have an interest in the beautiful vision contemplation um, the end for which we are made to see god um, i have an interest in theological interpretation of scripture how do we read mm -hmm. the bible with theological eyes um, i'm interested in the church fathers i have a lot of interest actually in the church fathers mm -hmm. um, both how they read scripture and in their in their theology more generally um, yeah, those are probably some of my key interests. Um, I'm married. We have, my wife and I have five children. Uh, they're all grown up, and uh, we have 15 grandchildren. So, Oh, my gosh, 15 grandchildren. Yes, that's right. <laughs> See, you stay a little busy with, with, all, with all those. Uh, stay busy, yes. That's awesome. Absolutely, we do. Yeah, it's great. That's cool. And you talked about it before. Uh, and you, like you said, you've written on a, lot of, on a lot of subjects, a lot of topics, like you just said. Sacraments, scripture, theology. So how much your, your newest book, Pierced by Love, <clears throat> fits in with your literary canon, I guess we can call it? And what was the impetus to begin writing it beyond Lexham asked you to write it? Yeah. So um, it, it, it sort of came naturally out of some of the earlier work that I've done. Um, increasingly, I became dissatisfied with uh, an understanding of of interpretation, biblical interpretation, as something strictly historical, so that our purpose as readers of the Bible is simply to understand 
the human author as best we can mm-hmm. um, so that so that exegesis or biblical interpretation is kind of like a historical quest or you could also call it like an archaeological dig we're trying to figure out what the author meant the human author meant yeah now now certainly that's an interesting question but that's not why most christians turn to the scriptures i suspect um, they turn to the scriptures in order to get to know god mm-hmm. to find god there to find jesus christ their savior there and that to me seems seems the more important reason to read scripture which is why most believers when they approach the bible um turn to it with theological eyes quite naturally yeah um we may not call it theological eyes we may call it spiritual eyes whatever yeah but, but yeah. we we read the bible with a view to spirituality with a view to to getting to know god seeing god ultimately and um so this book is is on lexio divina latin term simply meaning divine reading or or also holy reading so it's it's a meditative approach to reading scripture and that meditative approach fits fits quite well with the way that i think scripture has been read through most of the centuries yeah um as something to bring us to god hmm. yeah let's talk about that word lexio divinia uh you it's a very important term right when you open the book it's one of the first things you kind of mention and you de- describe and define so uh, just to kind of kick it off, lay groundwork, uh, you know, defining terms, can you describe what Lexio Divinia means and maybe compare that to a modern conception of what many think it means? Sure. Um, as, as I mentioned, the, literally the term means uh, divine reading. Yeah. And um, I, I, in the beginning of the book, I turned to Origen, um, mm-hmm. early third century theologian, and I explain there that when he uses those kinds of terms, uh, divine, he doesn't mean that the scripture is God. We're not worshiping the Bible, mm-hmm. after all. We're worshiping yep. God himself through yep. the scriptures. And um, what, what, he, what he basically makes clear um, is that, that divine reading is, it, we, could, we could put it in English as holy reading. That is to say, it is, it is a separate thing. Holiness means, mm-hmm. means to be separate. And so... We're reading the scriptures um, as something that God sets aside, that God separates for a particular purpose, namely to, to, to see him face to face, to contemplate him. Um, typically, through the centuries, mostly um, in, in, within the monastic tradition especially, and much of my book is on the monastic tradition, especially yeah. 12th century, um, through, through much of the Christian tradition, um, people have distinguished four four steps, as it were, uh, within within the reading of of scripture toward contemplation within this divine reading or this meditative reading. And the first step is simply reading lexio, um, <laughs> and that's simply going through the words again and again, reading the words. What what do they say? And often reading them out loud, um, because it's by 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 using your vocal cords. By hearing the words, um, you internalize those words. And you're doing that time and time again, so that the second step becomes meditation. You meditate on those words. You repeat them often. Um, in, in much of, of the tradition, meditation and memorization are one and the same thing. So when you say them often, the words of the scriptures, you internalize them, you memorize them. So meditation is step number two. And as you meditate them and as you reflect upon them, you cannot help but fill in your own life 
and the things that you've experienced um, in those words. So there is an encounter that happens between the divine scriptures and and um, your own background, as it were, your own what, what some people would call your own pre-understanding. Um, your own life gets gets uh, confronted with the scriptures. Mm-hmm. Your own life gets pierced by the scriptures. Mm-hmm. Hence the title <laughs> of the book. Pierced by love. Right? If, if someone might say that. Right. So, so your heart gets pierced. Your life gets pierced by the scriptures because they confront you. And so you pray over the Bible quite naturally, I think. So oratio, prayer, is the third step. Mm. And then through the reading, meditation, prayer, um, you you come to the face of God itself. You come to contemplate God, contemplatio. So that's the resting within the presence of God through these earlier steps, the summit, as it were, of 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 the uh, of the ladder, if you want to put it that way. Mm. Very nice. Yeah. yeah and then, maybe to quickly just because I have I actually have experience with Lectio Divina before mm. reading this book, and this was at an old institution um, that had spiritual formation. Um, but they didn't really talk about it as you had talked. Like there wasn't the steps. There wasn't kind of a reliance in some of the medieval or monastic fathers. Um, has it like maybe changed a little bit since then, or maybe people see it differently today than maybe they did a few hundred years ago? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. So, and, and that reminds me of that, that Nick also had an element in his question. To, <laughs> I asked to, it slightly to differently to try to yeah take it out yeah a little bit. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, so yeah. Um, I don't know that it is that 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 people consciously have changed um, what lecture divina is, but but what is the case I think is that um, we sometimes tend to treat lecture divina as something strictly subjective mm-hmm. and as 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 a way out of out of the hard work of reading the Bible and of doing exegesis. So you know, if you're a sem- I mean, Peter, you've been to seminary. You know, you, you're doing all the hard work, like you're doing these Bible, these word studies, and you read yeah. your, your 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 Hebrew and your Greek, and, and mm-hmm. doing all this difficult stuff, and then you do exegesis. And my goodness, is it hard work? You oh know? yeah, <laughs> no, I know. My brain hurts. Yeah, at, by Saturday before I preach. Yep. Yeah, and and so people sometimes treat Lexi Divina as well. Now now I can just. I can just kind of coast. I take my cup of coffee and I sit uh-huh. by the window in the sun, and and, and things are going to be good. And, <laughs> and what I and, and what I try to show in the book is is that that's a misunderstanding um, of of what Lexi Divina is. Um, mm-hmm. Lexi Divina is never meant to just sort of be a purely subjective thing. Just whatever I can get out of the text. That's you know, I, whatever I put into the text, <laughs> I can also take out of it again. Mm-hmm. That's not. It's not a justification for anything goes, and neither is it a, a justification for um, for for a a a, a mushy sort of mm-hmm. um, uh, approach to the scripture that that sentimentalizes it. No, uh, lectio divina. The, the, the lectio side and the and the meditatio side um, means that that means hard work. Uh, the word studies, you know, that you do in seminary, that any any sort of historic historical reading of scripture, grammatical historical interpretation of scripture, uh, would want you to do, can can quite naturally and often is quite naturally, I think, um, one aspect of lexio divina. Um, so so none of this is 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 meant 
to to um, to undermine the integrity of of, of a genuine um, encounter with what the scriptures actually say to us. Mm. Yeah, that's helpful. That's almost exactly how it was presented, kind of when I was in college. It was it was the way that it was like kind of passive, like your Instagram posts. You're sitting, you're just kind of let the words wash over you, and voila, lectio divina, but not so much the hard work of it. Yeah, and as I consciously try to show from you know many of these 12th century theologians and, and monastic. Um, um, uh, figures that I, that I deal with, I try to show from them um, that they take the text very seriously. Is experience important to them, human experience and, and the subjective side of things? Absolutely. Yep. There's, there's no doubt. Like they're, they're reading even encounter and, and, and one's personal life enters into that reading. So it's in the encounter that meaning occurs. And that's, that's, that, that theme runs throughout, especially the 12th century authors. And to my mind, uh, mm-hmm. they, they inherit that, at least in some ways, from from the earlier tradition. Um, so yes, experience is important, and particularly within, the, particularly I think in the 12th century, it's, it's important. 11th and 12th centuries, um, but it's always it's always an experience that 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 um, that is normed by the tradition, that is normed by the overall sense of, of the scriptures. And that that encounters the very words of the scriptures and is accountable to them. That's awesome. Yeah, and just talking about a little bit more about that time period we're going to focus on and who the theological giants that were staying on the shoulders of. I mean, you go your the first name you kind of dropped was uh, Origin, and he's in the third century. But we're going to fast forward to kind of the bulk of the, you know, the. Uh, the, er, the theological giants that you're staying on the shoulders of during this medieval period. Uh, we're going about 600 AD to the 1100s. So maybe you can explain to the audience why, why is this time frame significant? I mean, we fast forwarded um, about 300 years from origin. You're just talking about, and all of a sudden we're kind of going 600 to 1100s. What's significant about this period and who are some of the theological giants were staying on the shoulders of that you're kind of putting into this work yeah um in in many ways you could say it's possible to take any theologian (laughs) from the from the pre-modern yeah yeah um until until uh, exegesis changes in modernity Uh, you can take any theologian prior to this period and start reading start reading him and, and and what you'll find is an approach to scripture um, that a treats the scriptures as divine in the sense that I talked about that earlier. Uh, I love that expression, you know, the divine scriptures. We often don't talk that way anymore. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a beautiful expression, I think. Um, and and an approach um, that that recognizes the scriptures as a sacrament. Um, that, that is to say. Um, as 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 a means of grace that brings us that brings us in, into the presence of God, um, that, that that is the intent of of, of the scriptures. Um, and so, in, in a variety, I use a variety of authors. In particular, I look at some detail when it comes, for example, to the theme of attention. I, I look at, at Saint Augustine, especially 
but you mm-hmm. know that that's a, some of the choices that I make. They're they're relatively arbitrary, in that the theme of attention is is omnipresent. Hmm. It, it, um, it's there throughout the tradition. It's there in the Desert Fathers. It, it's there indeed in St. Augustine. It's there in in the later Western theologians who stand on the shoulders of St. Augustine. Uh, and therefore, is there in Gregory the Great? I use Gregory the Great uh, to some extent in the book. Um, I use 12th century theologians, um, St. Bernard of Clairvaux, uh, Hugh St. Victor, uh, St. Anselm. Um, now, the 12th century features particularly strongly yeah. in, in my book. And, and the reason for that, I think, is that, that you see in the 12th century a, a certain flourishing of Lexio Divina and a certain focus on experiential reading um, to a degree that you probably haven't, hadn't seen for, before that. Hmm. Um, which is, again, not to say that it isn't there, isn't present there earlier, sure. but it is fair to say that, that um, um, with a flourishing of monasticism in the 11th and 12th century, also get a flourishing of Lexio Divina, which, you know, often, often functions especially within the monastic tradition and so when 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 monasteries and and, and various orders proliferate as they do in the 11th and 12th centuries uh, naturally also get like hmm. enough flourishing hmm. yeah and so um i can i can imagine some people and we've seen this from others um, who kind of just look at modern readers, like all the modern people, all, all of our kind of modern exegetes and theologians, they just distilled all the best thoughts. So let's just read the modern people. But what, and this bridges into my next question, what do we miss if we don't read some of the monastics, if we don't read um, some of these 10th century, 11th century, 12th century mystics and those who maybe I think people are afraid of sometimes, like they just, they read differently, they think differently, they they pull things out of the test. We think like, oh, is this a rabbit out of a hat? But like, what's, What's, uh, what do we miss if we don't read these people? Yeah. Um, what, what, we, what we tend to focus on, let me first say what we positively do when we focus mo- almost only on, on modern or contemporary authors, contemporary biblical interpreters, let's say. Mm-hmm. What, what, we, what we do get is, is a strong sense of, of historical exegesis hmm. because that's what we moderns do. We are his, we're historically minded as moderns. We want to know what exactly, right? And mm. That word gives it away in something. Yep. What exactly does that mean? There's one yeah. meaning, and, I, and and it's my job to find out, to go back in history and to find out what that thing means, that word, that text, whatever it is. So I I, I position myself over against the text as, text as an object, and 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 I, I want to master the object. This is modern language, right? Baconian yep. language. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I want to master that text, and and I want to extract from it what I need, namely the meaning, the meaning. Um, so I, I treat I treat the text as a story. Now, of course, I can do that as as a Christian or as non Christian, but also as Christians, we've 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 tended, I think, or especially since the seventeenth century, uh, we've we've tended to treat the biblical text in that fashion as historians. Now, if, if, you, th- if you think for a moment of the four, four steps that I talked about, mm-hmm. those, those four steps of, of reading, meditation, prayer, and contemplation, um, you, you could more or less 
map them onto what are often known as as the four senses of scripture, um, namely the literal slash historical, corresponding to 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 reading or lexio, mm-hmm. and then you have the allegorical mm-hmm. uh, or the spiritual meaning, um, corresponding to meditation. Um, then you have the moral or tropological, and that corresponds to prayer because it's in prayer that you are confronted existentially with the text and so you convert it hopefully through the text and so you plead with god for for forgiveness and so so you have the tropological or moral level corresponding to oratio or prayer and finally you have the you have the eschatological or the anagogical and again means to to lead up in greek mm-hmm. so you let up contemplation the anagogical meaning uh, and that corresponds um, that corresponds to, to contemplatio, to the fourth step of, of Lexio Divina. So if you just read modern, modern readers, this is a very long-winded way of answering <laughs> the question, but, <laughs> but if, you, if you focus, focus if, if you just read modern authors, where these modern authors typically will, will, will lead you, at least if you do exegesis in a contemporary way, where, where that will lead you is it will lead you to the first step. Now that's not a bad step. No, yeah. But it's it's but it's a limited one. So often what these authors do not do, what these what these biblical theologians often will not give you is the spiritual or allegorical. But the, what they will not give you is the moral or the tropological. What they will not give you is the is the is the uh, anagogical or the eschatological. Hmm. Um and and I mean I'd have some some things to say perhaps also about the way in which the historical <laughs> yeah. is being done, but that, let let's yeah. leave that for a different oh, yeah. day maybe. Yeah, no, that's this. I think this next question might help us a little bit in that direction too, because it's something that I've I've thought about a lot. <clears throat> um, and because you said also too that there's this laser focused out your book and those whom you cite on experiencing Christ directly from the text, um, which I think. I, I guess you can say, generally speaking, a lot of kind of historical reading doesn't look at it that way. If you can just broad brush it, um, no, no matter where you are in the Bible, uh, which we, like we sign on to 100% ourselves, a Christ-centered reading, a God-centered reading of the text, which again, tends to be a little bit different than like the historical um, approach today. However, the, like I said, the approach taken is very different than how, like I said, many modern Bible readers approach the text. So you can, like, what's, like, what's the desire of those of whom you write, and how are you trying to kind of impart this desire on your readers to experience Christ from any text that they're reading, to experience God from any text? Because that's generally, like you said, not how people think. Like, how does this affect me? Tends to be like the kind of modern versus how can I see Christ in this text? Yes. Um, what I try to do in the book is uh, through a variety of, of themes like I, I deal with the, some, some themes that at first sight may be may seem kind of odd i, I have a chapter on on, on trees for example <laughs> I, know, I, I saw that title in the first few paragraphs like where's he going with this <laughs> a chapter on beekeeping and, and, yep. and those sorts of things you know yep. um but but they actually they, i guess they're they're attempts of mine um uh, to 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 draw in the reader in terms of what's going on in in this in this type of spiritual mm. reading um it, strange though it may sound when 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 someone just hears us to, hears you and me talking about about trees and about bees and and maybe about about chew, about eating food and so on <laughs> yeah um, is this about 
how we read the Bible. Yes, actually, this is about how we read the Bible. And and without being too too academic about it, I try in the book um, to to delve into what these 12th century authors were talking about, what they were saying with their tree language or their beekeeping mm-hmm. language or, or whatever, what they were talking about. And going to the primary texts without without doing a lot of a lot of scholarly stuff, um, and and simply trying to show these are the various steps. The book's actually patterned on the four steps of Lectio Divina: to mm-hmm. begin with reading and end with contemplation. Yep. And 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 I'm trying to draw the reader in in the way that I'm writing, hopefully with some success. I'm trying to <laughs> draw, draw draw the reader yeah. in and say, look, look. There's something that's going on here that's 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 um, very different indeed from what we often do, um, but that's that's very a creative and b um, um, very very dependent on on what on, on the Holy Spirit's work in our lives. Um, in and 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 the result I think is is um, just a um, yeah, a beautiful, a beautiful way of reading scripture. Now, the word beauty, again, is 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 not something we we naturally, perhaps, as as moderns, associate with with what exegesis should be like for the fathers and for the for medieval theologians. That was really, really important. Beauty was really important in terms of how we how we approach the scriptures. Um, so I'm try, I've tried to write the book in such a yeah. way that it corresponds to that. And and one other thing I, I should say, and then I'll I'll, I'll let it go. But um, <laughs> there's lots of pictures in the book. There is a, there's a and, lot of pictures and, and a lot of charts, which are really helpful. I lot, think visually a lot of charts. And there the pictures are of, gorgeous. They are gorgeous, and and I I just want to say thank you to Lexham Press. Yeah, seriously, they, they've gone out of their way. They've gone out of their way. It's a beautiful book to do this. Yeah. Um, so I'm really very grateful to them for, for, for putting it out like this. Um, and to me, that was integral to what I was trying to do with this book is not yeah. another academic project, you know, written for the Academy. This is a, a book written for anybody who loves the scriptures. That's mm-hmm. what I tried to do. Hey all, this is Peter, one of the co-hosts of the guilt, grace, gratitude podcast with a word from one of our sponsors, our title sponsor at Logos Bible software. Have you gotten your free book of the month from Logos yet? Join tens of thousands of believers who build their library with a free new digital theological book each and every month. Then read it on the free Logos Bible study app. Logos is the easiest to use, most powerful Bible study tool on the planet. You heard that right, on the planet. It works on mobile, the web, and even has an amazing app for your laptop. I myself use the mobile app every night to read from the Hebrew, the Greek, and a few other resources. I love it. I've used other apps, and this is the best one on the market. It really, truly is. And if you want to go even deeper, you can choose from a vast selection of the top books for in-depth Bible study. There's also step-by-step videos to help you learn how to study the Bible like a pro. So... Get your free book of the month today. Go to logos.com slash guilt grace and get started with Logos today. We have this link in our show notes. So just open up our podcast, find our show notes, click this link, and you can get started with us with Logos Bible Software. 
as you probably know, we talk a lot about Westminster Seminary, California on here. I can't even begin to tell you the impact this institution has had on my faith, my family, and the ministry the Lord has entrusted me with. If you feel called to serve the church and want the most rigorous training for gospel ministry around, consider coming to Westminster Seminary, California, a confessionally reformed institution in sunny San Diego that offers master's degrees in biblical and theological studies, historical theology, and divinity. Westminster's approach to ministry education emphasizes a mastery of the original biblical languages, maintaining a small student-to-professor ratio, a laser focus on face-to-face education coupled with an understanding of the importance of having pastor-scholars with decades of ministry experience train the next generation of servant leaders for the Church of Jesus Christ. If this interests you, and I hope it does, call Westminster today at 888-480-8474 to talk to an admissions counselor or visit www.wscal.edu. Again, call Westminster Seminary California today at 888-480-8474 or log on to www.wscal.edu, which will all be available in our show notes. Westminster Seminary California, for Christ, His Gospel, and His Church. Are you a student who's looking to go deeper into classical Protestantism and our theological heritage? What about a pastor who wants some sharpening of his theological, exegetical, and historical toolboxes? Are you a layperson who's looking for theological wisdom? Maybe you're an educator looking to lay a classical foundation in theology. The Davenant Institute seeks to retrieve the riches of classical Protestantism to renew and build up the contemporary church. And key to this mission is their educational arm, Davenant Hall. In an age where much theological education both overlooks the riches of church history and keeps students in debt, Davenant Hall is reimagining theological education. They take full advantage of digital technology to make high-quality theological education affordable via online classes. Davenant's offers an M-Lit in classical Protestantism with the standard and pastoral ministry tracks and a brand new PhD program in partnership with Union Theological College and Dominant Hall supervisors. Yet they insist that in-person fellowship is key to Christian formation. So to that end, they host regular residentials at the Dominant House Study Center in the beautiful Blue Ridge Mountain region of South Carolina. Registration for spring 2023 classes running April to June are now open, but registration closes March 29th. Fees start at just $225 for a 10-week class with a two-hour Zoom class from expert professors each week. Classes include the Reformation in the Modern World, a Biblical Theology of the Sexes, Augustine City of God, and so many more. These classes look incredible. Visit www.davenanthall.com to find out more or www.davenantinstitute.org for more information about the whole organization or go to our show notes and click on the link. Yeah, maybe 
just for our audience, um, before before my last question, before Nick goes, is there uh, maybe a uh, they're not all easy, but maybe like a quick example from one of the monastics on on how they pull some beauty and the divine meaning of the text out? Like maybe a specific example from somewhere in scripture that you can cite to kind of like wet somebody's palate a little bit. Yeah. Um, when it comes to, um, to the ark, for example, yep. um, uh, I mean, the ark f- features, features pretty prominently in one of the chapters yep. and, um, uh, the other, and I'm talking here primarily about the ark of Noah, although yep. there are other arks that are touching <laughs> yeah. upon that. Not the ark of the covenant. Yeah. The ark of Noah. Yeah. Primarily the ark of Noah. Um, although some of the pictures look like the ark, look they like do. The, yep. <laughs> um, the ark of the covenant. But but yeah, the Ark of Noah primarily, and 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 then, you know, a, a, some of these authors what they will do is they'll talk about the Ark Ark and the three the three stories, the three levels of the Ark. Yep. And and the very top, the very cubicle at the top is is Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. And um and and then there is this 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 tree in the middle of the of, of the Ark, and 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 you think what tree? There is no tree. And Hugh St. Victor will say, no, I know this, uh, there's no tree, but I'm going to talk about it anyway. <laughs> and we're scratching behind our behind the ear and we say, you can't do this. You're playing fast and loose with, with the biblical text. Actually, he's not, I think. I'm no, not he's not at all. No. I'm not going to spoil it. Yeah. Um, I'm not going to spoil it by saying why I think he's not. Uh, you'll have to read the book. No, I but think, actually, I think he not. nails the art for sure. Absolutely, he does. Um, and, and the reason is he re- he, he, he reads the 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 genesis account he reads it mystagogically he, he yep. reads it with a view of of drawing us into the life of god and and that's why he makes certain moves that he does um and that's not said that's the only way to read it but it's it's a you're talking about beauty your question is about beauty it's a beautiful way of, of, of doing this and it's a way of drawing us into beauty itself capital b beauty that's i think what what this is about um and that's why he also uses a picture that he puts on the on the wall of the of the, of the monastery, you know, the cloister, mm-hmm. and he's he's pulling the monks to the to the cloisters, and we're saying, look, this is this is how this functions. This is how we should how we should enter into the life of God through through the through the Genesis account. Hmm. So my last question before before Nick goes, and building off this last question, uh, and the hard work of divine meditation which I think Nick is going to dive into a little bit more as well. What, what did these patristic medieval monastic divines expect? So we've talked about like what they're trying to do, but what, what did they expect when reading scripture in these ways? And then from what you've read, uh, what you've written and then um, how you're hoping how, what they expect and what they experienced in the Bible can help us experience the same stuff from the Bible. Yeah. The ultimate expectation is to see the face of God. Mm-hmm. That's that's invariably the ultimate expectation and hope. Now, that's not to say um, that they knew exactly what to expect when they were opening the Bible. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, they, they often didn't know what to expect. I mean, there's a chapter on tears, for example. Uh-huh. Um, they, they 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 sometimes um, they sometimes experienced weeping, yep. uh, crying um, over their sins. Sometimes the tears wouldn't come, and they grieved over the fact that the tears wouldn't come. Hmm. Um, so, so they find themselves as, as 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 lacking a proper response to what God wants to do 
with them in bringing them more uh, in bringing them closer to him yeah um, their own lives do not match the divine scriptures in other words um they they experience uh, uh, compunction piercing of the heart um yes the it's an arrow of love uh, as in as it is in the song of songs yes it's an arrow of love but but it's an arrow that often hurts them. So there's a lot of pain and there's a lot of struggle. Um, the, the question of attention, which I briefly alluded to earlier in connection with Augusta, um, is a really difficult thing for a lot of these monks. I, I cannot, I can't, there's all kinds of other things that come in. When I want to focus on the, on, on the scriptures, meditate on the word, there's, there's just so many things, so many logismoi, little, little, little demons that, you know, <laughs> do their thing. Mm-hmm. And they they plague me. Um, there's there's a lot of introspective um, second guessing you could you could call it I guess um, that 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 a lot of obstacles on the on the road to contemplation. So so you need persistence. Um, you need to learn focus. Um, you need to learn to pray constantly. That doesn't come easily. Mm. Um, so what what were they expecting? Um, they they knew God is faithful, and they knew God is going to show Himself. Yeah. Um, but they also knew that that it's it, that the, the, the journey, the peregrinatio, is one that's that's difficult often. Hmm. Yeah, it's what you're saying. Even though we're talking about monastic um, people who are dealing with the text, it doesn't sound that dissimilar from our modern problems that. There's a lot of stuff coming around us, and we have to focus on this. So it's, I think we can think, oh, they had their own stuff, and they didn't have any distractions, but they had the same stuff we do. The relevance is huge. Like, when you used the word distraction just now, I mean, distraction was a huge thing for, for, for Lecture Divina as a problem, and, and it is something that is perhaps um, the greatest obstacle that you and I face today yeah. in, in meeting meeting our meeting our Lord. Uh, mm-hmm. Distracted all sorts of things. Um, yeah. We distract ourselves to death. Dis- yeah. Distract ourselves to death. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. Yeah, that actually perfectly leads into my question. Um, you know, we all we all know Hebrews four twelve Scripture is living and active and sharper than any two edged sword. Scripture is. God's word, it's perfect, it's holy, it's true, it's without error. Um, so there's brilliance to it from our holy God. And we know that. <clears throat> and then we know we've been talking about divine meditation. So uh, we could think, oh man, this is a match, literally a match made in heaven. <laughs> yeah, God's word. And then we come to it with divine meditation. What could go wrong, right? This is just going to be great. And then it becomes so much harder than we realized. So what happens, like you said, you kind of took the words out of my mouth when I was writing it down. It's like, you know, our hearts really get in the way with distractions and obstacles. And then it turns into a thing where maybe reading scripture because our hearts get in the way, it turns into um, something that turns dry and academic. And we're having a hard time thinking, you know, wait, this is this is scriptures living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. What's going on? Why what's is something wrong with me? Yeah, of course. <laughs> it's wrong with us. It's not God's word. But um so so knowing this is hard work, you know, what we have to do going approaching scripture and 
meditating, trying to get rid of distractions. And, and right now in 2023, we're loaded with distractions. Um, so many with, you know, um, social media and TV and we're living a fast place. I want it now kind of world. Um, so, but these, we could learn from these patristic and medieval divines, uh, sounds like. And, and so how, with everything that I was just kind of saying, kind of long-winded, what can this mean for us today practically? Yeah. Um, variety of things. One is, um, one, of the, one of the things that really struck me as I was working on this book, when I, when I was reading uh, St. Anselm's um, meditations on, on, and, and prayers, um, he, he reflects on his own inability often and his often his unwillingness to 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 read the scriptures properly and to pray properly. He often says, "I, I, I I'm, I'm too sinful. I, it's the pure in heart who will see God, and I'm, I'm a pure in heart. So how can I see God? I desire to desire God, but 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 I don't often actually desire God. <laughs> um, and and so he he." He's constantly self-flagellating, as it were, constantly telling himself how he's not measuring up, not measuring up at all. Something we, many of us, I suspect, can can relate to. Oh, sure, yeah. Um, and what struck me, what struck me, especially in Anselm, not only in Anselm, but, but certainly also in Anselm, is that that he gives us these prayers and meditations. Where he where he chastises himself constantly, um, and what he wants us as readers to do is he wants us to read him Anselm similarly to the way that we read the scriptures themselves. That is to say, he wants us to meditate on what he's writing. Hmm. Um, when you're talking about, about fast paced behaviors that we that we display in in so many ways uh, one thing we can do is 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 we can take a book doesn't even have to be the, the scriptures themselves read a book uh such as anselm's meditations and they're very readable today <laughs> and, and you know and and reflect on them savor the words read them again and let them sink in and pray over them and ask what about my life? How does how does it how does it compare to what Anselm was talking about? Um, very practically, that's a way of. It's not lecture divina with with divine scriptures themselves, but it is a form of meditating, so as to so as to be led into the presence of God. In that way, even 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 a non-biblical text can function in some sort of quote-unquote sacramental way, leading us bringing us into the presence of God. Um, and I think, and, and, and most importantly, of course, we can and should um, do that with, with the scriptures themselves often. Um, the scriptures are meant to take us into the presence of God. And that means we need silence. We need quiet. I mean, the last chapter of the book is about silence. It's a, it's a, is, is it theologically a, a profound theme? I think it is because it speaks about God's, the heart of who God is, but it's also a very practical thing. Um, Lexio 
is preceded by prayer, uh, sorry, preceded by, by silence. It, it ends in silence. And, and often in, in, the, in the practice of, of Lexi Divina, you insert moments, periods of, of, of quiet, of silence, um, so as to reflect internally upon what you've just read and to, to, to come closer to God himself, um, both, not, not just through the words themselves, not just through the words, not just by means of the words, um, but also through the words to God himself. Um, that's the purpose of the silence, and and that's something that's something very practical. I think that 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 we can all can all engage engage in. So, um, yeah, the book is meant to be practical. It's meant to bring the readers to this pro to this actual yep. process. I begin with saying, "Hey, what does it look like? Uh, how do you how do you do this, as it were?" Um, so yeah, the, the practice is important. Yeah, yeah, that <clears throat> kind of reminds me a little bit of a personal story for mine. I I remember when I was a younger, newer Christian, and I wanted to really have you know Jesus actually have him reveal himself to me. Have him, I want to know really plain and simple who he was, and I was pointed to Luke twenty four. You know, it's like God. God uses scripture to speak to us. That's how sure. he speaks to us. And our ears could be clogged with a lot of other things. And that's, there's nothing wrong with his word. It's our ears so in our hearts. But um, so that, that, I thought that was kind of remind me that, that randomly and kind of have a, a, my last practical question here would be, um, you know, you're an Anglican. Do you find, do you find as an Anglican uh, that, what helps with this discipline is the book of common prayer kind of helping you with, can you can maybe introduce that to the audience? Yes. Um, it, it, uh, I love the book of common prayer. Um, it, can, it can be a help as well as an obstacle in, in, um, <laughs> uh -huh. in, uh, Lexi Divina. Um, uh, I love the book of common prayer and I love doing morning and evening prayer with it. Um, I do, and I do it every day. Um, um, but like any any good thing, it can become uh, just a ritual. Mm -hmm. So you go through the motions and you say the prayers, but they're not your prayers anymore. Mm. Um, it doesn't have to be that, but it can become that. Um, and um, one thing that Lexio Divina can do is 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 it can take some of the passages that you've read, either either the Old or New Testament. Uh, one of the old, older New Testament passages that you read in morning or evening prayer, or one of the Psalms, and you can take a section of it and use it particularly for for meditation. So the two are not antithetical to to each other. I think um, they can be combined, um, you, or you can do just morning prayer and evening prayer and do and do Lexi Divina on some at some other time. But it is true that for Anglicans. Um, because we have the practice of of doing mm. morning and evening prayer, and mm. people often face the practical problem of, mm. "Wow, I'm already doing morning prayer. I'm already mm. doing evening prayer. How am I going to fit this in?" <laughs> yeah, um, no. yeah. And that's that's not a bad worry to have, and that's something that 
that every person I think for himself is going to have to find a practical practical answer to. Um, and and um, for me, the, the the best way in which in which I've I've tried to resolve that is is by fitting them together because otherwise it's not going to happen. Hmm. Yeah. Well, those are yeah, those are helpful things. Um, I don't know, Doctor Borzmo, is there anything else that we we left out that you wanted to add and and really kind of make a make a last uh, punch of your book and say, hey guys, this is <laughs> this is something that really means a lot to me and something that I put a lot of effort and thought into for the book. No, not not so much for the book itself. Just just maybe a, a practical comment, and that yeah. is um, that is um, don't don't worry about Lexi Divina. And what I mean by that is, don't worry about doing it just right, um, because because yeah, um, th th there, it, it's not like a technique. Uh, it's not at all like a technique. Um, when you when you read the Bible as a Christian, you'll naturally ask, "Well, where do I see Christ in the Scriptures?" You'll naturally ask, "Well, how does the Bible take me closer to God and to His people?" Mm -hmm. um, you'll naturally ask, "Well, how?" how, how how am I? How am I going to 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 search? How am I going, going to to find the Triune God in 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 the scriptures here? Those questions naturally come. So so keep doing what you're doing and and, and focus. Keep focusing on what you're focusing. And if, if if this book is somewhat helpful with that, that's great. But you know, it's it, the book's not does not offer technique. It, it it maybe gives you perspective on on. Some of the things that I found in the process. Sure. Yeah, that's really helpful. Well, thank you, Dr. Borzma, for uh, for coming on our show, for for writing this book, for writing all your books. I, I, I highly recommend. We'll have um, a link to all your books below um, the link to this book on our show notes. But thank you for coming on. Thank you for your work. It's been a pleasure talking to you about divine reading and, and about meditation and about the, the hard work of biblical interpretation. Mm -hmm. Been a real joy being with you as well. Thanks so much for having me. Of course. Hey guys, thanks so much for listening to the episode of our podcast, Guilt, Grace, Gratitude. And if you go to our show notes, as a reminder, there is a link to Patreon and you can find out how to become a bridge builder. Yeah, we've got five different support levels and the levels go from uh, just a, a $5 donation to help keep the lights on and, and get some equipment all the way up to you guys get to be part of our decision-making process for episodes, for content, for authors, for guests, whoever it may be. And you guys get consistent conversations, maybe even since our episodes, the second that we record them instead of having to wait for episodes to come out. So look at that, see what you want to do. As part of that, we have a goal to get about $1,000 a month that's to cover some costs, get some new equipment, and just hire some people as well. And also, if you guys can rate and review us on iTunes, on Spotify, on any one of your podcasting platforms, this is the number one way, besides word of mouth, that word gets out about what we're doing. So we hope to see you guys next week.